Ça a fait. Ça a fait. Ça a fait. Tout le monde, bienvenue dans l'autre épisode. Corim, ses amis pour l'UTR. Les amis pour Mac, nous branchons là. L'auteur, je dis à fond, parle anglais. Vous comprenez, monsieur. We have to. We have to. We have to switch it up a little bit today, man. Yeah, typically we, we bounce in and out, you know, Creole and English, but um, we couldn't pass up this opportunity. So I'll give it up to you, Luther. For sure, for sure, man. Today is an amazing, amazing, amazing day and a great, great opportunity um, to have a special guest on our show. And, you know, I'm going to have to speak English the entire time this time. So because she doesn't speak Creole and she I actually met her um, from FenCon. So I met her. I, I went to a session that she was doing regarding how uh, undocumented immigrants can build wealth in the U.S. So funny enough, we didn't get to connect after the session. We took a picture together. She probably see me, see me on her picture. So funny enough, afterwards, I think about two weeks later, I received an email from one of our mentors from FenCon saying that, hey, I want to connect you with someone. And that someone is our guest today. And we finally connected. We had a great conversation. We exchanged numbers. And now she is on the podcast. She's been doing an amazing job within her community on helping undocumented and documented immigrants to build wealth. She has been featured in the New York Times and NBC Universal and FenCon, as I mentioned earlier. And um, she called herself your favorite immigrant money coach. So she teaches immigrants documented, like I said, and undocumented about legally and earning and saving money and about investing in the stock market. She published content in English and Spanish. Uh, she is very passionate about what she does. Ladies and gents, without any further ado, let me introduce you to Maribel. Maribel, welcome to the show. Thank you, Luther and Mac, for having me. So excited. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. No, thank you. We've been trying to get you on for the past, what, two, three months now? <laughs> yes. Yes. Just been very busy and on the holidays and then had like yeah. a whole breakdown turning 30 and going like, my life is not where I thought it would be. <laughs> wow. Listen, your life is right where it should be, though, right? That's good. So I was listening to Luther in the intro and I was thinking, man, our listeners are Haitian. So hopefully one of these days you'll be publishing in Creole too or hire you know, a Creole speaking <laughs> individual that would be able to translate your product as well. Um, right, right. That would be great, right? <laughs> Different audience. But typically, before we get straight to the the meat of the conversation, um, for I mean, our guests for the past two seasons have predominantly been Haitians. Mm -hmm. And we have this section, the segment called Flex Your Haitian Muscle. Obviously, you're not Haitian, but it is a time <laughs> for us to kind of connect us to back home. So I want to give you the space to do the same thing, to connect you to back home. So tell us something about home uh, and home about me like being like Mexico that you still do to this day that still kind of remind you of home or that still you'd still cherish yeah so um full disclosure like I was born in the United States so I like my parents though are from Mexico both from Mexico from an indigenous pueblo in Michoacan Mexico and they, we are from a purepecha indigenous culture mm -hmm. so every year I try to go back at least to what they call la fiesta del pueblo which means the mm -hmm. party of the town and basically they the celebration is to a patron saint because it is very much purepecha and catholicism and you know colonialism and so it's very Catholic um, so it has to do more with that type but because it's it's such a big deal it's it's kind of like where religion and way of life are still very much interlinked 
Like mm-hmm. I love going because that's when people who have moved outside the pueblo, including me, who's, you know, at this point born in the United States, growing up in the United States, we all try to come back. So whether they've lived, uh, moved on to another pueblo, another state or another country, people try, you know, as much as they're able to, to come back and celebrate and so that's when I get to see my cousins and my family and like, hey, look, I got married. Hey, look, I had a new kid. And it's just like, you know, you get to meet the family and the family's so numerous that I don't know everybody in my family, but probably everybody in the Pueblo is somehow related one or two, you know, like first cousin or second cousin type of thing. Right, right. That's crazy. So I, that's awesome. Uh, we kind of do this. We have lists. It's funny. I always try to find um, the commonalities between us immigrants. And so we have like mass return homes too. Luther, you can attest to this around carnival in February. It's like mm-hmm. where it doesn't matter where Haitians are. We we have like uh, culturally, we have like huge carnivals in Haiti that goes from city to city. People typically go. And for us too, funny enough, like around December is the other one that I can think of where everyone just like around December 25th and how the celebrations are in Haiti, especially the older folks, if you can't afford it, everyone just like, just congregate back <laughs> to Haiti. So it's it's interesting that you you guys still do that. And it was funny because you talked about people bringing like, I got three kids in the past year. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. So and here's my life update. That's, right. that's, that's pretty <laughs> yeah, amazing. I'm, I just get all the life updates at once. <laughs> <laughs> right, in one board, I do life updates. That's pretty amazing. All right, so let's get uh, right into it. So Maribel, who is Maribel? Like tell tell the tell the audience again. You're speaking to a predominantly Haitian audience, so tell us who you are, what you do, and how can that audience connect with you? Yeah. So, see, you did such a great job introducing me that I was like, "What's left for me to <laughs> <Yeah>. say?" <laughs> so, um, my name is Maribel, and I am the creator of Our Wealth Matters, which is a company that's focused on helping specifically immigrants in the United States learn how to save and with the end goal of getting them to invest in the stock market in order for their money to work for them. And there are steps along the way before we get to investing where your money's still working for you. So even if you are starting off with just saving your emergency fund or just saving money, like we know there's Bank of America and Chase and Wells Fargo that will give you like a penny for every like thousand dollars you got in there. Mm-hmm. There's other banks Ridiculous. that will give you way more. Um, so trying to teach our community about that and especially because uh, me as the first generation born here, you know, we're we're kind of trying to figure it out and how the USA system works. So to me, it's very important to teach the immigrant community, not just my first like generation, but like also our parents and those immigrants who came here that, you know, building wealth isn't just about going to work every single day and coming back home and, you know, stuff will work itself out by the time you retire. Like that's not how the people who have been here for generations build their wealth. We need to figure out how they build up their wealth and then apply that to ourselves. And so that's what I'm trying to do through Our Wealth Matters is teach the immigrant community, like, this is what we can do. Even if you're undocumented, that doesn't hold you back in the USA. Like don't ever underestimate how capitalistic the USA is. Awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you because I know immigrants, sometimes we don't know where to start. We're afraid. And so we thank you for being one of those people that is like, hey, no, well, we need to focus on on our specific status as immigrants and capitalize on that as much as we can. You and I spoke a little bit offline and we talked about there's a specific reason that sparked kind of like the whole purpose behind our wealth matters. Right. Um, and maybe you can talk about it a little bit without staying too much in it. But my question following that is, was that where your relationship with money changed or is it something that you pulled through once you, you know, years down the line, you were in your purpose, you're like, hey, 
that makes sense as why I'm doing this today? Or is that something that the moment it happened, you're like, oh no, I have to kind of safeguard and think about money differently? Or is that something that came later on and you kind of connected? I guess this is why I'm the way I am, right? Yeah, I think it's related to just trauma, right? Like I went through that and now my purpose is to never end up living in the street again. And so to me, it's like, I need to build my wealth. So I make sure to never end up homeless and living in the street. And that if I ever have my kids, we're not going to be ending up living on the street. Like when I was founding Our Wealth Matters, like there was a lot of me, there was point in times when I would get really into money, but it was seen as you're obsessing over money, you're being too ambitious, or, you know, if you're like, okay, I'm not going to spend on this because I'm trying to save, you're being goda, which means like you're being like a tight, like you're holding your money too tight. A penny pincher? Yeah, you're being a penny pincher, pincher, as in like, it is muy fijada, like you're, you're paying too much attention to this, like it ain't even your money, why are you telling me like, you know, I shouldn't be spending on this or that, but it it was like within my family, right, but uh, like if you're telling me something, I'm like, am I on like just listening mode, or am I on like actively (laughs) helping you figure out how to avoid said thing mode, so I would always be on actively trying to figure out how to you know, avoid whatever is that they're telling me. So I'm just like, you know, so maybe you just don't want to spend on that. And they're like, you know, it's not even your money. Like, why are you giving me (laughs) advice? And so that's where like, once you create a community and and, like when you start creating, when I did um, Instagram, it was like, I can talk about money because the people who are following me want to talk about money as Mm -hmm. well. I'm fine. Just Mm -hmm. finding like-minded people who are at the same place with their money as I am. And now they're trying to build that's why I'm grateful that like I started it because I at least know that I'm talking to people who want to hear it. <laughs> right. No, this, this is great. This is great. And and I, I commend you for that. And as a first generation immigrant myself, I can attest to that. Right. So speaking with your parents, speaking to your peers about money and about how to save or how to elevate themselves in terms of building wealth, Sometimes you get a lot of pushback. So why this guy so obsessed with money and things like that? You yeah. know, it's it's not it's not. So I, I commend you not only to realize that hey I'm in this situation I need to make a decision for myself but also I need to help others as well who are willing <laughs> to be helped. Yes. Right. <laughs> that's 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 huge. That's huge. And so I know again we just talked about it being being a first generation immigrant is is not easy. It's hard. It's hard. Oftentimes, you know, our parents, they don't really know the system, right? They can't really navigate us, you know, the best way possible. We are learning as much as I can so we can pour back. So tell us a little bit about your specific challenge that you have to go through. How are you able to overcome them? So as far as like teaching the immigrant community or challenge right. in what sense? Yes, teaching yeah. teaching the immigrant community. So I basically teach like three buckets, right? Um, the people who are fully immigrants, they, they are the generation who immigrated. And then there's those who have DACA. So they were, you know, children when they came here, they went through the process, they have DACA, they have a social security number, but for all intensive purposes, they're still considered undocumented. And then the first generation who's born here, then social security numbers and where, you know, DACA, depending what time, what age you came and first generation, they tend to grow up a lot with the norms of the USA culture and thinking about money the way, you know, Americans grow up. But then, so there, there's that division of immigrants and what they've gone through, maybe a you know, in their country, the a bank went down and they never saw their money. And so now they are fearful and don't trust banks versus us born in the United States. And we're like, there's insurances, FDIC insurance, like I'll get at max, you know, minimum $250,000 back if the bank goes down, like, we haven't lived through the same experiences. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. So with the immigrant culture, it tends to be like, why should I trust this? How can I trust this? And all of that. And to me, I'm just like, yeah, I'm not the one to help you realize necessarily why you should be doing this. So it's it's easier when you have someone who's already realized why I want to do this. Like I already have a goal in mind and then I just need help to figure out how to get there. So I, there's other people in the immigrant community space. Like I, I met someone who she works mostly with mental health. And I'm like, I'd rather bring the mental health person to really help you through any of the money issues that you have. Mm. And once you're ready, you come talk to me on the how to do it. I am not a person afraid to say their limitations, because if I just take on a client and go like, yeah, sure, I can help you just to get the money like that. I'm not really going to help you. I'd rather actually help my community than like, you know, if I if I think you would benefit more from dealing with your money trauma first, I'm probably going to send you to somebody who's like, literally has the expertise and not someone who's like, oh, money coach, and I'll help you with trauma too. And it's just like, no, I'm going to send you to someone who has licenses and studied for this. Wow. So you talk about trust issues. I know we have a lot of that in our in our community somewhat. Um, in our community, um, especially the the first kind of group of, of immigrants, a lot of them used to save their money under the mattress because either didn't know about banks um, mm -hmm. where they lived because banks were not everywhere in Haiti. Um, at certain mm. times or because of your thing like they don't they don't trust other people with their stuff yeah. and so I think I want to circle back on, on what Luther said earlier is like because a lot of times when you think about making it you're thinking about now people are seeing you on social media if you didn't go to your friends and family first and try to teach them these opportunities and these things they would have been like oh you sat next to us all this time and you never told us about this and so for <laughs> the fact that you the fact that you took the time and you you actually you know tried to you know help people be more frugal and and they're getting in your in your in your face and telling you you know like hey why are you in my business i think mm. it's it's important to note and being able to dissect these three buckets is important. And I think that's that's a great skill to have. And so being able to also recognize your limitations. Speaking of limitations, I think about us in the Haitian community, sometimes we don't put a limitation on our money and in the family that we have with us, right? Yeah. So I'll give you an example. When you're the first generation anything, um, you kind of are the family support for anything. <laughs> you are the first to make it out of college. So now they expect you're going to get that degree and bring all your money home. Like you're not supposed to get married or have a whole nother life. Is that something you face in your, in your, I guess, coaching too with certain individuals or even in your personal experience as you were starting about the fact that you can easily become your parents' retirement plan? And if you are having students or clients that deal with that, how do you talk to them about the, the whole being your parents' retirement plan or your grandparents' retirement plan? And and to kind of curve for that, right? Yeah, and that's still something that's very prevalent. Like uh, sometimes our parents will come out straight out and say, you are my retirement plan, which <laughs> some people are taken aback, like, wait, hold up, especially if you grew up most of yeah. your life in the United States where it's very different, mm -hmm. right? Your parents are supposed to figure out their own retirement plan and you figure out your own retirement plan. There are some children who have are like, oh, okay, like, right. Anyway, so there's actually two, um, as you were mentioning that, um, there are still some family members who ask you for money, right? And if you don't give money, you are seen as like, what the heck, like, you're supposed to come and support the family, like you have a good job, like, why would you right. not support the family? And right, right. you get these feelings of guilt. So I want to talk about the family emergency fund. And I also want to talk about your main question, which was how do you deal 
with clients who are their who are potentially their family's uh, retirement plan. So the first one is the family emergency plan. And this is a concept that I heard. And basically, it's like, you know, you have your own emergency fund, Mm -hmm. which is like at least three to six months, um, typically of living expenses, right? So how much it takes to turn on the lights, keep the heat on, put food on the table. This is because if you were to lose your job, it typically takes about three to six months to find a new one. So there's a similar concept for family. Which Mm. is like, okay, you make it like a separate jar and you decide how much money you're willing to put into that. And just like a regular emergency fund, when it goes down, you top it off next paycheck, right? So let's say I'm like, I'm willing to give $300 per month of whatever family members come and ask, I'll have it. But it should be an amount that keeps you basically from going into financial ruin yourself, from over giving Mm-hmm. but it also helps you do away with those feelings of guilt. It's not that you didn't give, you did give, you gave up to 300, right? For whoever came and needed it because you you felt that that was okay. You, you weren't, you're not going into financial ruin. So it helps deal with those feelings of guilt of not giving, but it also helps you set boundaries. boundaries. Yep. And it's it's like, if somebody comes once your jar is is no longer full, right? And they're like, hey, I need money. You're like, I'm sorry, you know, you, you can with confidence say i'm sorry i've i'm tapped out for this month i'm not going to have any more until next month or next paycheck or next whenever it is that you're going to top that off right mm-hmm. so i love that concept because i would i'm like if somebody comes and asks me and i say no like i'm gonna be guilty as fuck right and guilt can families sometimes tend to use guilt to get you to do the thing yes <laughs> So there's that. But then the second one being the retirement plan. Uh, yeah, in our generation, there is a lot of people who are like they outright know that they are going to be the retirement plan for their parents and not just one person, two people. So when I've had clients like that, I first ask, have you asked your parent if you are the retirement plan? Right. It may be just something that we're putting on ourselves and maybe your parents already have an idea of what they kind of want to do. Mm-hmm. And so if they they're like, yes, my parents have told me I am their retirement plan. It's like, OK. Do you know where they want to retire? Because a retirement is going to cost very different if you retire in the U.S. versus back for in their home country. Conversion rates, like a loan. It's going to be very different the amount that you have to save and contribute per month or per paycheck. So knowing that, like, what is their plan? Secondly, have they made any plans for themselves already? Have they bought a, a little bit of a piece of land? Have they started constructing a house? Do they have any have they started building anything or are they ground zero and you're providing everything? What is their idea of retirement? Is their idea of retirement like chilling or is their idea of retirement like having a little ranch, having a little house and, you know, tending to crops or cattle? And if that is their idea, have they started building any of that or right? Or are you fully expected to bring everything? Also, you know, if their plan is to be here, retire in the United States, are they thinking of living with you and your family when you get married? Or are they okay being in their or do they want their own home to to live in? Right. And that has to do a lot culturally also with financial. Right. Like if you have the finances and then that way you can get an idea of, okay, what do they want? What do they perceive as? And how much is that going to cost? Now, how much do I need to earn in order to make that happen? And now I'm planning for mom's retirement, dad's retirement, my retirement, and my wife's retirement, and trying to set up my kids. And really taking that into account of, can you handle all that? Or do you need to have a hard conversation with your parents and then be like, hey, I understand that this is your idea of retirement, but like, maybe we need to like, bring that down a little because I cannot afford that. Maybe I can be your half retirement plan. or your Yeah, and especially... 
because some some parents are still they're like yeah I'm gonna be my you know my parents retirement and I'm like oh so your parents are about to retire they already retired and they're like no they still got like 30 or 20 good years of work and I'm like they can start helping you you know there's an IRA there's a 401k like we can can, if if it's a stay-at-home mom there's the spousal IRA if their spouse goes and works like that's twelve thousand dollars there that can grow in the stock market and it's about going like having that talk and being like, if I'm going to be a retirement plan, this is me being your retirement plan and telling you what we need to do in order to get there. And it, maybe it's not just all on me. If you still got 20 to 30 years of work in you, like there are ways you can help me do this, right? Yes, yes, yes. I I, I love I love this concept. And a couple of things that jumped out uh, for me is the idea of having the family emergency fund. That that is, I don't know about you, Mac, but that's something I'll start implementing because <laughs> yeah. I personally do my, you know, see myself drifting away, not drifting away, but kind of, you know, feel bad. Like, for example, if I don't have it and I don't give and I feel so bad and I feel like had I been planning for it and adding that to my budget, you know, it wouldn't be feel so bad. Or sometimes I feel like I give a little bit too much. Now I'm looking at my own budget. It's like, oh my God, this month I blew up the entire budget, right? Mm-hmm. So the idea of having a family emergency fund is, is amazing. The second thing you mentioned is having that conversation. Again, my own experience, it's not an easy conversation to have. It's, it's a conversation that needs to happen. And even though it's, it's not easy, you know, you may get pushed back. You may get even cursed out sometimes. Yeah. Your parents that's, might be like, why are you talking about that now? You want me to die already? And you're like, that is not it, it at all. It, like, that, I'm trying to provide for you the way you want to be provided for. But exactly. tell me what you want. Exactly, exactly. And that's what I like about this. And, and having that transparent conversation, you could know. Another thing that you said that kind of jumped into me is the idea of ensuring that they know what they want and not you assuming, oh, this is what they want, Right. They telling you what they want, and then you can create a plan. You figure out what that plan is going to be and how you can help them achieve that goal. Mm-hmm. I, I I love all of this, and especially um, from the Haitian perspective. As Haitians, we think about this all the time, and I don't think I've ever heard a good as good of a strategy. Um, so thank you for this. I think if we if we had stopped if we stopped the podcast just right here. We would have enough gems to oh, kind of go back to talk to our generation. And by our generation, I mean people from anywhere from like their mid-20s all the way to 40s, right? These are things that we, they're actively thinking about. And so I, I like the idea of the family emergency plan, I know how you guys said it and I know how you guys meant it. I'm even thinking about bringing the second generation, the other siblings that made it out, the other siblings that are working. Why we can't have this family emergency fund you know, with with the other people that have the um, the means, and now we all can can think about it. Or or if you're married, you you have the family emergency fund where either per people on your family, either side of your families can can ask, and we have that one pot instead of all right. Now your mom asked last time, and then now my dad is asking, or your grandpa asked this time, or now you got to be my grandpa this time. Instead, so instead, just having one family emergency pot that just, you know, is there is, is amazing, I think. And so, yeah, I, I, I applaud you for, for saying these strategies, knowing where they want to retire will make it a lot cheaper. Um, you know, definitely force them to retire in Haiti. So that way, um, <laughs> living You're expense like, is way lower. You're like, I can, I can Haitian, build you this. 
or I can build you this here, right? It's it's like when we compare like Texas to California. Listen, yeah. we got the same amount of money, but in, in Texas, you're gonna get like two story house with a big ass yard and air conditioning. In That's California, right. you're gonna get a rundown yeah. thing that you have to fix yourself. Right. And, right. and Haitians don't don't even want to hear the whole idea of, and I'm glad you didn't say it. Not not that you, you would have gotten in trouble or anything, but it's just funny because we always think about this. Haitians don't deal with the whole idea of like um senior living homes or retirement homes. <laughs> It's yeah, like, oh, yeah, I was gonna mention yeah. it. But I was like, it has yeah. to do with that's where I was just like, it has yeah. to do with cultural yeah. stuff, right? Like, yes. like in and my, oh, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. There would be like, oh, um, so this tends so in the Purepecha like culture, um, because they get married around like 15, 17, um, yeah, um, typically what happens is the guy will like take the girl and then they go back to the guy's house and so now you're already living with you know the the cuñadas the what is it brothers-in-law sisters-in-laws if their children are there and then your mother-in-law and and father-in-law until like you know the man your your partner gets enough money and builds up the house so this isn't at the end of life but it tends to be more at the beginning of partnership life that this is how it happens so that's why i'm just like it 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 has to do with culture as well right there are some that's like normal for them here in the united states that may be normal because if you get you know together if you pair up that early you don't have the financial means but it's it's definitely in a different light it's not normalized here so um same thing with and more older families right and here especially at least for like some mexicans here we because of the standard the the cost of living sometimes different generations will live in the same home because to be able to afford a place and Mm -hmm. it's it's you know it's like the grandparents and then the parents and then the children are like growing up there and and all of that so that's why i was like yeah i didn't want to mention that specific thing i was just like you know whatever whatever is cool with your culture (laughs) right right i i agree with that i agree with that so Maribel, I remember when we had that first conversation, uh, one of the topics that um, we that that came up is the idea of how undocumented immigrants can actually build wealth mm-hmm. in, in the country. And that, that's exactly what your platform is all about. So let's let's be a little bit practical in that sense um, and talk a little bit about how someone who is undocumented in the country can actually have a bank account, can actually open up a business, can actually, you know, buy a house. Legally make money in the United States. How, how, is, that po- how is that possible? Yes. So um, going back a little history, just so we understand, right? We always have heard, right? Undocumented immigrants can't legally work in the United States. You can't legally that's, make money. That's, that's what I heard. And so me coming and going like, there's a way to legally make money is like, what the fudge, right? And it all starts with the IRS back in the 1990s, creating what's called an ITIN, um, Individual Taxpayer Identification Number. And this number is basically for anybody who doesn't qualify for a social security number so that they can declare their taxes. So this is where we see that division of there's the law and then there's the like there's the government that's like, you know, there's ICE and then there's IRS and they for purposes do not share information. So don't be afraid of getting an ITIN for like now the government's going to know that I'm here. They're going to know where I live and then ICE is going to come knocking on my door. No, IRS is just concerned with getting a piece of the pie and they actually have a regulation that like a code in their tax code basically saying we do not share information with other parts of the government except under extenuating circumstances, which means like this person already under investigation for doing something. And then they just came to the IRS for like some supporting evidence. So in the 1990s, they built the ITIN, 
now. It was only meant for people who to declare their taxes, right? For the purposes of our conversation, undocumented immigrants to declare their taxes, pay the taxes back. Since then, the I-10 has now served so that you can open up a bank account, own a car, open up a checking account, open a, uh, buy a house. So that means you can also do real estate investing. You can do stock market investing. And with the I-10, you can set up a company in the United States, sole proprietorship, LLC, whatever you want, except like an S-Corp because I think that one. See, that one I'm still like if you on. I need to do my research. But like basically you can set up a company and then instead of being an employee, you can try to be a contractor. So like a freelancer, right? Like, hey, mm -hmm. I'll take the photographs for your weddings, for your birthdays. Hey, I'll be a freelance writer. Hey, I will be a content creator and, you know, um, work on campaigns with you. Hey, I, you know, will have a construction business and you, so you, the, the people giving you the work, they're not contracting you as an individual undocumented right. immigrant because they could get in trouble for doing that. They contract your company, but okay. you are the only employee to said company or you are the head of that company. So the company is you, but for all legal purposes, that company giving you the work will not get in trouble because they are legally hiring a USA based company and that company has its own identification number. And then mm -hmm. it just happened. It just so happens that your company hires you right so that's where we get into this gray area where the irs don't it's like so your company has an undocumented employee but like i really just care of getting paid the taxes like whatever but if somebody were to take a magnifying glass like your company that you founded could potentially get in trouble for hiring you as an undocumented immigrant but i mean we already see that the irs invented itens so people even if they're undocumented could you know pay taxes on their revenue gray area we I don't really see it on the news like a lot so it's just those like nuanced stuff where this is still though the most legal way to earn your money because you're not hiding the money under the table like you're not getting paid under the table you're paying your taxes if IRS comes through you're like hey I did everything I pay my taxes I don't know y'all nothing and you know that's how Al Capone went down for not paying his taxes so like how else they get, like what else usually they get you on those taxes so yeah, just like ITIN, as I did more research, I figured out that basically like even if an immigrant is undocumented via that ITIN, they can basically do everything financial wise that a citizen born in the United States with social security number can do. That's that's amazing. And that's something that when you told me, I, I think I found that out as, as well when, when your session, I was like, how is this even possible? But like you said, there are loopholes in, in the um, in the system there, and people should you know take advantage of that. One of one of the things you also mentioned is you know the idea of people can open a bank uh, a bank account. Yes. Now I'm, I'm almost speaking uh, Creole. <laughs> you didn't catch that, Max. <laughs> people can open up a, a bank account, and they also can open up. Uh, they could, can also uh, buy a house. So how is that possible? And what type of bank like would they be able to open up a bank account into? Yeah. So um, going back to, first of all, how to get an ITIN, um, some people are like, what if I don't have income? And this was a question that was posed to me, like, what if I don't have income, so I don't declare taxes? How else can I get an ITIN? Is you would then either be a spouse of someone who did make income and they're declaring them and then, you know, you, your ITIN gets processed or you're a dependent of somebody um, on somebody's taxes. You could get an ITIN that way. So now once you have that ITIN, the trick is really doing research and figuring out what banks and what institutions are doing business with people who have ITIN. So for example, 
although these are horrible for high yield savings, <laughs> um, like the some of the big ones that we see in our communities are like Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Chase. All of those companies will accept ITINs. They will accept ITINs if you're undocumented. Also some credit unions, but because those service smaller areas, you have to go on a case-by-case -case basis on each credit union. Then there's also some online banks. A lot of people talk about Ally, but that one is not ITIN friendly. There's another one that's called that I like better. It's Varo because it gives a 5% APY. So interest on your money and it accepts ITINs and social security numbers. And I think they just give such a high one because they're technically considered a, a fintech, but they are insured, but they do, they are backed by a bank that has FDIC insurance, which means if that bank goes down, you're going to be reimbursed okay. by the USA government for up to $250,000 based on how much you have in that account. So that's where the research all comes in. And that's like all the research that I'm doing to try to, when I present these concepts to immigrants, especially undocumented immigrants, that they don't go like, okay, now where do I go? And that I go like, oh, I don't know. That's like the specific knowledge that I bring to the personal finance community that I'm like, here are the banks, here are the brokerages, here are the people who do business with undocumented immigrants and can make this possible, help you make this possible. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love yeah. this. Obviously, um, I'm thinking about this. You said so many good things. I'm thinking about case by case basis. I'm thinking about obviously, anytime you're listening to anything, you can't generalize it because your case may be different. Um, so I, I used, and, and this is where I would say, like, talk to your tax professional as well, if you have one or call somebody and ask more specific questions. Because mm -hmm. when someone comes on, on the platform and share their experience and their gems, which is amazing, by the way, you know, you don't have all the nuances because this is a 45 minute interview and conversation. So as people are listening and cause I'm, my mind is, is like, I didn't I didn't know about this this I I tend um uh -huh. and so I'm listening to it and I'm like this is amazing and I can it could have helped solve so many things of of people that I knew growing up right mm -hmm. that felt like they had to you know run to the illegal route and we know there's a lot of that in the Haitian community where for whatever reason some people choose to work under other people's secure social security or mm -hmm. do other things and things like that that are that are illegal and so this is this was great. And so I I know that that's part of some of the same thing you do uh, when it comes to your platform. And so it's, this is some of the things that people would be able to call you about, and you probably be able to do a deeper dive individually and look at their case, correct? And you can kind of kind of introduce um, all wealth matters right there too in in that space. Tell us more about how you would handle something like that or people like that. Yeah, so currently I am offering like one-on-one, -on -one, one-hour sessions where people bring me their most pressing questions. And as you were saying, like you just learned about iTunes. I was so surprised when Luther told me he was just <laughs> learning about iTunes during our conversation. I was like, see, sometimes I have the knowledge and I'm like, everybody must know about this already though. They've been around since the 1990s. But then Luther telling me like, hey, I didn't know about that. And that's where like people can come to me with their most pressing questions of like, hey, I heard about an iTin, what's that? Or I did my research and I have a question about this. So I have knowledge, like, let's see, I've been certified now for maybe like 11 plus 11 plus years as a certified income tax repair for the state of California. So mm -hmm. I have some knowledge about that. And we do service a lot of the immigrant community. That is not what I do with our wealth matters. I just bring that knowledge in. And then I also work in the finance space in the entertainment industry here in LA, where I handle like multi-million dollar budgets. So some people are like, you know, I have I earned this much and I'm like, cool, like, you know, how much you earn is not going to 
make me afraid of whatever your situation is because I handle over here like entertainment corporations money and then all tying it together with the immigrant knowledge of like I grew up in the immigrant community although I myself was born here and have a social security number I grew up around a lot of people who you know have just arrived who have you know don't know what an ITIN is and trying to tell them that like you know that's that's the best route if you really want to do it like really legally because when people get here sometimes they don't know exactly what they're not allowed to do right they just knew that getting through the border was going to be a hard thing but they didn't know right that there's still struggles after it and sometimes the American dream turns into the American nightmare nightmare And so it's just like trying to get through that. Like I, me growing in the immigrant community know that, and we don't have to spend freaking like 10, 15 minutes talking about here's where my mindset comes from. I'm like, I got you. Let's get to the, how to get this working. Right. Let me give you the steps. A, B, C, D. Great. This is what you want to accomplish. Let's talk, let's talk through how to get there. Awesome. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great. I, I, I love your platform. I love what you do. I love the fact that you, you, you know, banging out those, you know, different, ways for un- undocumented immigrants to to get a better life and like as mike was saying a lot of times when you when you come here you feel stuck right we made it yes we made it but how do you maneuver in the country right so you have to get the papers you have to find ways to make that work and with the, with the itin it, it's it's possible to get started with that mm-hmm. uh, before i move on we about to transition but i, I do want to ask you though like for somebody listening right now they heard the term itin they're excited they're like okay this might be something life changing for me yeah. how how can they create an itin where where do they go yeah so um again if they have the income it's when you go to your tax preparer you can google like itin and irs itin and a form called w7 will come up but if you do do your taxes um, with a tax preparer, tax season's coming up, we all know that, and you're undocumented. Um, so let's say you were working under somebody else's social security number, right? You're, you're still getting that W-2 more than likely in the mail because you put your own address there. So you can take that to your tax preparer and then they're going to be like, great, is this, and you explain to them, again, they are working for the IRS in a sense, right? And IRS is not ICE. So we got to keep that in mind so that we're not afraid to go to these people. So there's three ways. You can fill out Form W-7 either by yourself or with a tax preparer and send it along with your taxes. You can also look online for, and and you have to send a document that shows your identification, so like a passport. And so uh, the other way, if you don't want to send your documents away, you can look in the IRS and there's um, certified acceptance agents. These are people who have gone through training and can be like, yes, I saw their their documents. I can verify this person came face to face with me. And so let's you know go through the process, getting them an ITIN. There's another one where you can then go to a, an IRS like sp- center, like an office, and the IRS again has this on their website, and you can then get that um, tramitado, like you can get that done in person, so that you don't have to send your documents away. Okay, nice. That's that's pretty that's pretty awesome. So thank thank you for for sharing that. And you know, like you said, if anybody you know have your CPA work with you, you know have your lawyers uh, work with you as well if, if you have any questions about those mac you can take it over yeah i'm tramitado okay, okay. what is that like you gotta... it's like not transmit it's um i'm gonna google this so sometimes like my mind like you know how you do a curl in english sometimes <laughs> mine goes spanish and english now, now now i don't feel so bad because i just did it earlier <laughs> yeah 
tramitado. It's processed. There we go. They can oh, process your ITIN for you. They can process the form for you and get you an ITIN number. Got you. Got you. Um, let's let's tramitado um this uh, podcast to the to the next part. Um, so so this is the rapid fire section, right? Okay. So what that means is that you just the first thing that comes to mind. So let's 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 go. Um, the first thing we want to talk about is. In your life so far and your, and your purpose and everything that you've done from the time that you were, you know, a young kid to now, what is the biggest lesson you learned in your life? Have an emergency fund. Mm. And then, you know, just be yourself. I mean, if you into money, then you into money and use that thing for good. Mm. Gotcha. That's awesome. Steve. All right. So what's your favorite book? Um, I'm looking up because I, I have it. Um. One of the lessons that I read that I really liked is called The Alchemist because I like to travel. And that oh. one is just about somebody just traveling the whole thing. And yeah, I'm not going to spoil it, but yeah. Funny enough, but, the our previous guest's favorite book was uh, The Alchemist. <laughs> <laughs> it's about treasure and traveling. I mean, it's about yeah. money and traveling. So yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> combine that's the things I like. <laughs> yeah. Um, when you're not think, talking about money or immigration, uh, getting money or immigration investing or immigrants investing in I-10, what do you do for fun? Um, I like to boogie board and shoot hoops. Boogie board. Is that a, is that a West Coast thing or is that? A yeah. So it's like smaller than a surfboard. Oh. It's, it's like about, it's like maybe four feet tall or something and then basically like you get on it on the waves so it's not it like surfboard level like you don't stand up on it you just put your body on it you have it next to you because oh, uh, I, I, I do i see you looked at it Grab it. <laughs> I looked at it. <laughs> there's yeah. like let me see can i uh, let me see if i unblur it but like my room is like not presentable right now <laughs> you don't have to show yeah, it yeah, yeah, let it me see it's right it's like there. right there like that big blue thing standing up that's the surfboard yeah, yeah, yeah. in the front of it there's a boogie board gotcha oh, yeah. All right, boogie board and shoot board. I understand the shoot hoop part. Shoot yeah. hoop, that's that's national, but I didn't know what the boogie board was. Um, that's awesome. I'm learning that's, new things. See, that's good. That's good. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, Maribel. Thank you, thank you for this amazing, amazing episode. Thank you for um sharing your your knowledge with our audience i'm sure they'll learn a lot a lot from this episode and i can't thank you enough i know again we met from fencon and now you know you're on the platform and sharing your ideas and and with 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 uh with our audience there so thank you very much thank you luther and thank you mac for having me and yeah like uh if you're someone that wants to get started on your money journey you're like but i don't want to commit no money if you do follow me on Instagram or TikTok, there's also like a YouTube and a Facebook, but like if you, um, Instagram's where I hang out more and you'll see more of my posts. There is a link in my bio and it leads you to a freebie document of like about 12 pages or more of just free content mm -hmm. on that's all like personal finance specifically geared towards the immigrant community. And it does have like a quick summary of like how to apply for an ITIN, what brokerage companies actually accept an ITIN and other like free resources. Nice. So yeah, nice. I was, so, gonna, I was gonna, gonna, yeah, I was gonna ask, drop your specific handles, like right. say, say them. 
Yes. So on all of them, oh, I also have a Twitter. Anyway, it got to be a lot to handle. So I'm on Instagram <laughs> and then like reposting on TikTok. So you can find me through there on Our Wealth Matters. And then my website is www.ourwealthmatters.com. And you can see more of like the speaking engagements that I've had and other stuff if you're interested in that. Um, and then you can also see if you're interested in a one-on-one hour, one coaching session, like what that offer entails and reviews from other people who have taken it before. Awesome. Do you remember the Creole word that we talked about offline? Oh, darn. If you say it, I could maybe. Saga fit. Saga fit. Hey. 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 <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Don't forget to go everywhere. Follow the podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on YouTube now. Uh, we're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're everywhere. We're trying to keep up. We're trying to get a lot of work, but we're trying to keep up with all those social media platforms. So don't forget to follow us. Give us your feedback. If this episode made an impact in your life, if you uh, learned something new today, let us know. Just, you know, give us a shout out. Reach out to Mary Bell and, you know, give, give, give her, give your thanks to her and, you know, stay connected. Most importantly, you got to share it. If you heard it and it did something. Share to you, it. Definitely. Doing something for someone else definitely reach in and send it to someone else um but once again thank you maribel for coming this was great this was awesome someone that is a millennial sharing uh, information um with you know other immigrants appreciate you and i'm sure our listeners appreciate you today oh, thank you so much yeah and if you guys do end up following me on instagram um after listening to this podcast i always you know send me a message be like hey i just heard you from the podcast and tell me like the takeaway that you took away right. from it because sometimes like I know this knowledge and I'm like everybody must already know this knowledge but it helps when when people are like oh I didn't know about this and I'm like oh okay I should probably make more content more, about that right, because not right. everybody knows about it that's right that's that's right all right once again everybody uh still Zamipo Mac Nalu. Ciao ciao all right bye <laughs>